morning my name's shane burke you're listening to the science of comedy i'm sorry not the science of comedy that was my old show you're listening to tech talk here on kuci 88.9 fm in irvine today the topic is drumroll um it's css cascading style sheets which um obviously they are pretty pretty exciting i know it doesn't sound like that yet but um i'm going to explain them to you hopefully and you'll get really excited about them. Um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about with respect to this, so I'm just going to get straight into um, the CSS, how you actually do it today. And um, there's a lot of tips and techniques that are very important, especially for things like um, performance. And I'm probably going to talk about those either next show or later on. But um, hopefully by the end of today's show, I, I can get through the entire language and everything that you need to know, just like we did with HTML last week. Okay, so now I'm going to get straight into um, the nuts and bolts of CSS. So as I said, CSS stands for Cascading Style Sheets. And um, so basically as we to kind of bridge in from last week, we were talking about XHTML and I said that there's some tags that we're going to use in the future and I didn't really explain them very much. Now is the week for me to actually explain them. A couple of them, at least. Um, there's the link tag that we talked about and the style tag. Uh, the link tag is a... It allows you to... Uh, reference an external style sheet. So all these things that we're going to be talking about today are styles. It's basically how you um, present a web page, how you actually make it look nice. Because <laughs> if you just look at plain HTML, it doesn't look very nice. But with CSS, you can make it look a little bit better. Um, and so we've got the link tag. And the way you use a link tag is you obviously open up the link tag. And remember, like I said last week, the link tag is a singleton. So you're going to want to uh, open up the link tag with the less than sign, the word link, a space, and then we're going to want to specify the type attribute, which is uh, text slash forward slash CSS. And uh, remember, that's all lowercase and in single quotes. And then we're going to um, have another one, so we'll do another space. And we'll do a um, rel attribute with the value of style sheet. And then the href, which is href, which is... Um, the actual URL where our style sheet exists. And uh, so we'll close that. We'll, we'll keep that all lowercase, put it in the value in single quotes, another space, a forward slash, and a greater than sign to close out that singleton. So that, that's basically, that goes in the head of our, the head tag in our HTML document. And that is our reference. Everything, so we're going to actually create a new file um, that has the suffix .css. And that is going to contain all the styles. So it's a really nifty way 
to um, uh, basically uh, abstract all of the style information from our structure in the HTML, which is one of the things that we were, one of our goals. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to separate presentation and layout. Or I'm sorry, presentation and uh, the the actual semantic meaning of of the web page. Um, and so make sure that that you're doing this. Um, that's one way to do it. You can also use the style tag, which allows you to put style inside the document. You can actually put in the CSS inside your HTML. This is something that I don't really advise you to do because it makes things a little bit more difficult. One of the great things about having an external style sheet is you can reference it inside of all of your web pages on your website. So you can have one style sheet for your entire website, which can make things complicated. I should also say that you can also have multiple style sheets for um, your entire, for one page. So you can actually have multiple link tags. You're not just limited to one. Um, you can use a combination of links and the style tag, link tags and style tags. Um, so, but I really encourage you, unless you're actually creating, for some reason, dynamic styles for one page, I encourage you to stay away from um, what we call embedded styles, which is, which is using the style tag. Um, but again, it's just normal CSS. Everything that we're going to talk about can go inside of a style tag. I encourage you to stay away from it, though. And the third way that we can reference uh, CSS styles is with something called inline styles which are um, one of the things I kind of stayed away from last week is that there are multiple, um, how do you say this? There are multiple attributes that I did not cover last week. Um, I, I basically recovered the required, covered the required attributes for all the tags we talked about. There are also general attributes that apply to basically every single tag. So I didn't really want to bog you down to them. They're much more important for CSS. Um, so I'm going to bring them up now. Uh, the three most important ones are um, there's the ID attribute, which we talked about a little bit. Remember, there can only be one uh, tag with an with a certain ID attribute. Um, in other words, they have to be unique. Um, you can't have two tags with the same ID attribute, regardless of whether the same tag or not. Um, so and and then the kind of the Opposite of that is the class attribute, which can actually accept, you can give a, a element multiple classes. So, um, and you just put a space between the class names. And um, so basically, uh, yeah, that's, that's all there is. You can have um, one class referring to multiple items. So if, you're, if you need to reference multiple, a, a group of items, then just give it the same class because mul multiple tags can have the same class. Whereas multiple tags cannot have the same ID. Um, and then the last one, for especially for today, is the style attribute. And you can basically put CSS in there, and it's actually embedded in the element. Again, that's something I don't recommend you do because it makes it really difficult if you want to change something. To You have to basically go into every single page and every single um, element to change it. Whereas you could just give it a class and reference it in your style sheet and um, you can change that style readily. And you don't even have to go into your HTML. So you can see how flexible um, CSS makes things. And it also, because you can have multiple style sheets, you can also kind of um, create uh, unique layouts and unique presentations for certain parts of your website.
um, just by changing the uh, link tags that you have. You can just change up the, the, the um, CSS files that you want to reference. Okay, so there's that. Um, a CSS rule is compiled of a selector and declarations. Um, I will describe what each is in a second, but just um, first let me kind of uh, tell you what a CSS rule is. A CSS rule, or actually let me tell you how you make a CSS rule. A CSS rule is basically, um, as I said, it's a, it's a um, selector and declarations. A, um, to write a selector, and we'll, we'll get into how you actually reference things in, in a second, but you basically have a selector followed by a space, and then an opening curly brace. And then I like to do a return and a tab. You know, I like to keep my tabbing nice so everything is, is uh, looking nice when you actually view the source and it's easier to read. Um, so, I, yes, anyway, uh, all of your uh, declarations will go in there. And um, you need to include a semicolon at the end of each declaration. Um, a declaration is composed of a property and a value, and the property and value are um, separated by a semicolon. Now, one of the things about values in CSS is you don't need to actually include a, a you don't need to include quotes in, in limited circumstances. I'll tell you when you need to quote values. Otherwise, they just kind of exist on their own. You, they don't need to be quoted values. So we've got the uh, property, and then colon, value, and then a semicolon at the end of the declaration. Uh, so that, that's basically that. Let me talk about now the selectors. Um, we can basically select for elements based on the tag name. Um, we can select... Um, let me see. Uh, we, we can basically select based on um, ID. Uh, we can select based on having multiple, we can select based on class and we can group things and uh, we can also use uh, nesting and we can use these things called pseudo classes and there's only there's only four that we're going to talk about because um, Internet Explorer, which is one of those, Internet Explorer 6 I should say, is a difficult browser and it's still used based on something I saw in W3 schools um, it's, and I should, I should, I should actually stop myself. I forgot to say something about programming, the programming notes. Um, I actually last week referred to w3cschools.com. The URL is actually w3schools. Um, it, it's something minor, but if you couldn't find it, just go to our website, Shane Burke, S-H-A-N-E-B-U-R-K-E dot me, M-E, and, um, you can get all of the links that I talk about. I'm not going to be referencing links anymore because of that reason. So um, I just want to let you know. Sorry about uh, kind of interrupting myself there, but I, I knew I'd forget if I just left it for later. Okay, so finally we've got these pseudo classes. Internet Explorer 6 is used by, um, as I said in that survey by, survey by w3schools.com, it is... Um, about 25% of their users still use Internet Explorer 6, and it doesn't support a lot of things in CSS2. So we're kind of be going to be using, in my discussion, CSS1 and a few CSS2 things. Um, so, yeah, I just want to let you know that um, there is much more to all of the CSS stuff. 
However, I'm trying to present a method that will allow you to make the most cross-browser compatible website. So people using Internet Explorer 6 can use your website and view it exactly the same way as someone using Safari or Firefox or Google Chrome or, or uh, what else is there, Opera. Um, so I, I'm basically trying to make your browser, make it easier for you to make your website cross-browser compatible. And that's, that's a difficult task. Um, but so that's why uh, you'll notice if you do your own research, there's a lot of things that I'm, for, I'm leaving out, and it's intentional for the most part. There's some things that I may be leaving out, and I, we just won't know. <laughs> but for the most part, I, I really did try to go through everything, and, and so this is everything that you need to know, for the most part, to create a cross-browser website. And there's nuances, and, and there's links on the website that you can refer to, and they will... Um, you know, they've, they've got detailed discussions of different bugs and, and things that, um, hacks and things like that. So just be on the lookout for that and read up on things if you want to be a little bit more advanced and, and deviate from what I'm telling you here. So how do we reference a ID or a tag? Well, a tag is really easy to reference. The tag selector is really easy to reference in CSS. All we have to do is use the tag name. So if I wanted to reference a div, all the divs on my web page, then I would just write div, um, space, curly bracket, and then uh, inside the opening and closing curly brackets, I would write all the style declarations that I want for that div, for all the divs on the page, I should say. Um, so that's really, really useful to some degree. Uh, to other degrees, it's kind of a little general. Um, so a more specific way we can uh, reference items in the HTML document is we can use IDs. And the way you reference an ID is you use a pound and the ID name that you want to specify. Remember, you can just specify any ID value you want for any element, as long as it's unique. Um, you know, it can, can only appear once. And so we use the pound sign to get really, really specific. So we can reference only the um, element with that ID. Okay, so that only all the declarations composed in that rule will only apply to that ID uh, in the document. We can have the same ID on multiple pages, but only it can only occur once on the same page. Um, then you've got classes, and basically the way you reference a class is you do a period and the name of the class. Like I said, you can have multiple classes for um, one. You can have uh, multiple. Uh, I'm sorry, one element can have multiple classes. And one class can be used by multiple elements. I think that's not the same thing that I just said. <laughs> uh, but it's correct, what I just said. Um, so we can also specify... Um, so that's basically... An, using classes is a neat way to reference multiple um, elements in the document and uh, reference them all at once. So it reduces the amount of work we have to do. We don't have to give them all individual IDs and, and only reference them with an ID. That's kind of a, it's a nice way to group things. Um, we can also group selectors. So um, I should say that, um, well, I'll actually touch on that a little bit in nesting. So let me touch on nesting first because I think it'll make a little bit more sense. Uh, you can nest things so that uh, using spaces. So basically if I did an A anchor or links, a space, and a, um, a class of blue. So I, it would be a space dot blue or period blue. Uh, 
um, then I would basically be referencing all of the, actually an A is a really bad example, but just imagine that I did this. Um, so maybe I had a span inside of my A with the class of A. Let's, let's say that. Then what I would be doing is I would be referencing all of the A's in the document that have a um, element within it with the class of blue. So that's a nice way to start um, using tags and classes, or you can use IDs, of course. Um, to get much more specific, you can actually um, institute a nesting pattern and, and say, um, these are the only ones that I want you to reference. Okay, so that's kind of a nice way to do that. On the other side of things, you can, um, if you leave out spaces, then it's also kind of making things more specific. So if I said A with no space, period, blue, then that would be referencing all of the A tags that have the class of blue. Um, that's kind of less useful because obviously um, you can just use the class and not have to reference the A, but maybe you wanted to, um, if you wanted to display certain tags differently, but give them the same class, then that's a way you could do that. Um, okay, so I talked about that. We can also group selectors. Um, so grouping is basically, you can use the nesting, you can use, so you can have spaces, you can uh, use the uh, IDs, the tags, the classes, and you can basically use multiple selectors and separate them by commas and apply the same rules to all of those different things. So, for example, I could reference a, a link and I could reference a div. Um, maybe I wanted to reference a div with the class red and a, um, a link with the class blue. And I wanted to give them both the same width. So I could just do a dot blue comma uh, div dot red. And inside the declaration, inside the rule, uh, give a width value to that. And I'm going to start talking about all those things a little bit later. Uh, so we talked about descendant selectors or nesting. Um, now we've got the pseudo classes. The pseudo classes only apply to links. Pseudo classes in standard compliance browsers actually apply to basically every sort of um, tag. Unfortunately, with Internet Explorer 6, they only apply to links. So we're only going to, to create a cross-browser page. We're only going to use pseudo classes on links. And the uh, pseudo classes are basically um, specified by colons. So if I wanted to reference the, um, how about the, going with this example, the link with the class of blue, so I would do a dot blue, no spaces again, um, colon, uh, what's a link value? Uh, one is hover. So um, I'm going to explain what these mean in a second, but let me just show you the syntax here. So a dot blue, colon, hover, all in, no spaces there. Um, and you can actually have a space between a, um, an element or an ID or a class without um, and, and specify a pseudo class. It has to be referencing an element because they don't really exist on their own. Um, so anyway, like I said, they only apply to links and um, basically that's how you, you can specify a certain color or something uh, when the hover pseudo class occurs. So what is a pseudo class? Well, these dynamic values, think of them as like dynamic classes in a way. So um, a link uh, there's four values. There's link, visited, hover, and active. And they actually have to appear in your CSS in that order. 
Um, so a link is a unvisited link. So colon link would be an unvisited link. Um, if I I obviously have to specify a link. So I'm just for these examples, I'm going to actually just do a and skip the class blue because that will reduce the amount I have to talk. So a colon link would um, reference give those styles to all of the um, all of the links on the page that are unvisited. A value of a colon visited would give the um, styles to all of the links that have already been clicked on, have already been been visited. Um, and then hover is obviously if you roll over it with your mouse, then it will um, give all of those all of the links that have been that have the mouse over them will have a, the rules that you specify in the hover block uh, with the hover selector. And then um, there's also active, which is um, when you click on something and the instant of clicking clicking it will um, have the pseudo class of active so you can um, apply a colon active and have um, uh, all of those rules relate only to the active state of the link okay uh, like I said there's more uh, selectors but they're not supported cross browser so we're not going to really talk about them anymore. But they're really unique, and we're actually going to be talking about them a little bit um, in future episodes. Excuse me, I just need a little drink there. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about JavaScript and jQuery. And with jQuery, you can actually reference these, um, these things that these CSS selectors that we can't use with just plain CSS. So I'll talk about that next week, but don't worry about it, or maybe in a couple weeks depending on how far we get today. Uh, so now I'm going to list off all the properties and values that are supported, well supported in CSS and cross browser. Um, so like I said, we've got the, for every rule we have a selector, a space, and then the opening curly brackets, um, or multiple selectors also if we use commas and, and all the grouping stuff that we talked about. And inside we've got a property and a value and those uh, on each line, and at the end of each line, we need a semicolon. So I'm, now I'm just going to name off all of the properties and their values, and uh, so this is for your reference. There's the property of background attachment, which is, um, it can have the values of fixed and scroll. Remember, those don't have to be quoted. Um, and that basically, if you have a background attachment of fixed, that means then if you have a really long page, then your um, background image, so these are all for background images, uh, the background image is going to stay in one place. However, if you have a really long page and you give it a background attachment of scroll, then as you scroll down the page, the um, image will actually stay in place. And it's a difficult thing to describe on the radio, obviously, um, but hopefully I'm going to get some videos up uh, probably next week um, showing that that effect um, and also w3 schools has examples there and you can actually view them all so just go to w3 schools and and you can view them yourself too in the meantime uh, there's background color I should I should say that background attachment is background hyphen attachment and all of these basically I'll specify when they're not um, when there are multiple words they um, have a hyphen in between them uh, background hyphen color is 
a hex, hex color value. I'm not going to get into hex color values, but um, there's going to be a link on the website where you can actually um, go to a color generator. It, it helps you pick out good colors. I'm a really bad person with design, so um, these things are uh, really helpful to me, so I'm going to provide them for you too. Um, I don't know what looks good and what doesn't, so these websites really help. And it will actually give you the, the value that you just type in for your value. Um, they, hex values are preceded by a pound sign. And um, basically you just type in the value. It's not quoted. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? We've got background image. Okay, so this is really useful. We've got um, the URL. Okay, so you've got background hyphen image, colon, and then the word URL, or the letters rather, opening parentheses, and actually in quotes, the URL to the image that you want that background image to be. And then you would obviously um, have opening and closing, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, opening and closing parentheses, as well as opening and closing um, uh, quotes in, in the proper order. Now in CSS, um, this is different from HTML. I prefer to use double quotes. I actually prefer to use double quotes in all my programming languages and single quotes in my HTML uh, attribute values. So just know that whenever I say quotes, that I am recommending you to use double quotes here and not single quotes. Um, and then, of course, you need to close that with a, a, a semicolon at the end of the line. Uh, there's background position. Okay, so this sets the starting position of the background image. And the first value is the horizontal or X value, and the second value is the vertical value. Um, and they're separated by space, and you actually need to specify units for these. But again, there's no quotes here. Um, so you can basically uh, specify all of these different things. So there's, you can specify a value of top, left, center, right, bottom, and uh, obviously top and bottom apply to the y direction and left center and right apply to the horizontal direction or x direction and remember we do x first then y um, but you can also use these certain values that CSS allows us to use um, so what are the CSS units that we can use well there's percentages so a percentage is a um, it would be a percentage of whatever the value is for the parent so if I wanted to use a percentage um, height, then it would be a percentage of the height of the parent. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. It's a little bit difficult to explain on the radio, so uh, stay tuned or go to W3Schools. Stay tuned to the website, that is, and look for links and videos, or just go to um, W3Schools and they have examples that you can look at and see what I'm, what I'm trying to say. There's IN. I, that's a unit that we can use, which is uh, inches. Uh, that's mainly useful for print and I'm not actually going to talk about print. I'm just talking about all of the CSS that I'm going to be talking about here is for um, screens. They can be used for pages, but um, the values of inches and centimeters, CM, um, we're not really going to use except for um, where we've got, um, what do you want to call it, uh, a, a print style sheet, which is a separate style sheet entirely. Uh, then we've got EM. So EM is the current font size, and this is a really cool sort of thing. It, it allows us to create um, layouts that are that actually change based on the size of the text that the user specifies is in the browser. Um, so 
one em if i set the font size for maybe the entire document in the body um i could use the body tag and and specify the font size and i can make it 12 pixels and if i use the um later on in my style sheet to reference something inside the body then a value of 1 em would be 12 pixels however if i change the font size to 14 1 em would then be 14 pixels so um it's really dynamic and you can see how great it is because you can actually specify um, the size of what of the text that you want to be in there, but the structure of your layout will actually stay the same, which is really neat. And likewise, 2EM would be, um, to go back to the example where in the body I specified the font size to be 12, 2AM would be, EM would be double the um, font size, which would be, um, it would be double the font size, which would be 24 pixels. Um, and that's totally dynamic. So that's really neat. Um, what else should I say about EMs? Oh, all of these units, I should say, don't have spaces uh, between them and the numerical value. That will throw things off. There's only a space between the um, values. So hopefully this will make a little bit more sense. EX is just like EM, except it's only referring to the font height. Uh, PT is used for print and uh, which it stands for point and it's 172nd 1 divided by 72 inches uh, just for your these are not really used very often uh, there's PC which is Pika and that is 12 points again that's kind of a an obscure thing and uh, a Pika is equal to 12 points and then a pixel which is a dot on the computer screen this is used really often um, also so we should be using EM percents and pixels really in on for our screen CSS values um, a pixel is used really often in images and so um, that's something you're going to want to be using just to let you know uh, so we've got so now we now that we've got the um, units that we can use covered so let's go a little bit back and talk about the background position it specifies where um, the background image actually starts so if I specified um, background position 0, pixels, space, um, 2 pixels, then I would be actually moving the background image down by 2 pixels. So it would be starting 2 pixels below the, the first, first uh, pixel of the element, and it would be moving no pixels on the left side. So hopefully that makes sense. A, a positive value, you can have positive and negative values for these. A positive value would move a top value down, and a um, positive value would leave a um, left value to actually go to the right, which is a little confusing, right? Um, you would expect it to be, I guess it kind of makes sense. It's, it's those pixels from the right. So, um, but it has the appearance of going to the right. Or I'm sorry, it's the number of pixels from the left margin, um, which would be going to um, it would be going over to the right visually, and likewise a a positive value for the top would be making it go down visually. Um, it's it's the amount from the margin that you want it to be. Um, whereas if you used um, negative values for the top, it would actually make it appear to go up 
make the background image go up. Whereas if you use negative values for the left, it would actually make it go to the left. Um, so again, that's a little confusing, I know, but uh, hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. And again, like I said, there's those relative values you can use, top, left, center, right, bottom. Those all um, are, you know, you don't have to specify any pixels or, or anything. You can just use those values on their own. Nothing's quoted here. Okay, now we've got background hyphen repeat. This is our new property that I'm going to introduce. The values that can you can have are repeat, um, repeat x, repeat hyphen x, I should say, repeat hyphen y, and no hyphen repeat. Um, so those are the things that you can use. Um, it really depends. So, okay, let me just say repeat is, it repeats horizontally and vertically. Repeat x obviously only repeats horizontally. Uh, repeat y only repeats vertically. And no repeat means you only have one instance of the background image. So it, it doesn't repeat. Those basically make sense. Um, another property that you've got is border hyphen color. Um, again, that's another hex color value. So not much to say there. Border style. Okay, border hyphen style has um, a couple of interesting uh, values to it, but it there's a lot more as you'll see on you as you go online. But they're most less frequently used, or they're not supported. Uh, so I just m mentioned the ma major ones here. So those values are none, dotted, dashed, uh, solid, and double. And that's basically um, none. Obviously, there's no border. Um, dotted would, would make it so it's a dotted and dashed. Those are all pretty self-explanatory. The only one that's a little confusing is double. And that basically makes uh, effectively uh, two, two um, borders, two solid border, borders. Okay, so now we've got border hyphen width. And that can be using any of the CSS units that we talked about. And that's the width of the border. So that makes sense. Uh, you can also specify... Um, okay, so um, I have a note here saying that you can specify top, left, right, and bottom for or, all the border properties. So if you want to uh, only apply a style to the... Um, let's say you want to only apply a background style, or I'm sorry, a border style to... Um, only the top, then you could do border hyphen top hyphen style, which would only be doing the um, um, border style for the top. Um, and uh, so yeah, there, there's not much more to say there. So you can do top, left, right, and bottom. Uh, they all act, act exactly the same, but you can just kind of specify it a little bit more. Uh, where you want that style to apply to, <clears throat> actually in the, the property. Okay, uh, so that's actually not using selectors, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Well, just ignore what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, right now, what I just said, uh, for the most part, you should listen to what I'm saying. Um, height is another property that we've got, and those all uh, use... Uh, that the CSS units that we specified. Uh, there's width, and that also uses the CSS units. Uh, those are s pretty much self-explanatory. There's these other value properties called 
max hyphen width and min hyphen width and max hyphen height and min hyphen height. Well, so the nice thing is Internet Explorer 6 doesn't support any of those. Um, it, there's actually a bug in Internet Explorer 6 where it will treat height and width as min hyphen height and min hyphen width respectively. Um, so uh, you can actually use uh, regular height and regular width to specify the min height and min width in uh, both those, but in Internet Explorer 6, I should say. Um, but for the most part, we should try and avoid using those actual uh, properties. So just use height and width, which makes it easier. There's less to remember. Um, unfortunately, it gives you less flexibility. But uh, hopefully IE6 will be phased out soon, and we can start talking about those. Uh, there's font-family. So this is a comma-separated list of font-family and generic-family, uh, where you should always include a generic-family at the end of that list. Um, these, the values can be in quotes if you want, but they can also not be in quotes. Uh, it just depends. And uh, so I'm just going to name off the generic family, which you probably you probably haven't heard of. There's serif, S-E-R-I-F, um, sans serif, which is S-A-N-S hyphen S-E-R-I-F, cursive, fantasy, and monospace. Um, it's kind of difficult for me to explain what these look like, obviously, because we're not, you can't see what I'm trying to demonstrate. But um, uh, just know that these are the generic families, and you can also s specify um, the font family, which is like a specific font, like Times New Roman. Um, basically, the difference between a serif and sans serif is a serif font is, it has um, little, uh, like, edges to it, I guess, um, so it's like Times New Roman, whereas a sans serif font would be like Arial, which doesn't have any of those little hooks on the on the edges. So if you look at those two fonts, you'll kind of see what I'm talking about on like the corners. Um, so that's basically where it is and what I'm trying to say. Uh, there's font hyphen size, which is the font size specifying using any of those CSS units we talked about. There's font hyphen style, which is can have the values of normal, italic, and oblique. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know the difference between <laughs> italic and oblique, so I always just use italic, um, but just know that there's a different value for oblique. There's font-variant, which is uh, V-A-R-I-A-N-T, which is, uh, those values can be normal, uh, small caps, uh, those are the only two, actually, and small caps is uh, basically it's where all the letters are capitalized, but the first letter of every word is a larger capital letter. So that's kind of a neat font. You know, that's kind of a neat um, effect that you could use if you were making like a storybook application. Then, you know, they often have like the first line of, of a storybook is, is using that sort of a, a font, and then the rest of it is just kind of regular. So you can use that. Um, and then the last font thing we've got here is font hyphen weight, which is the values can be normal, bold, and there's also numbers from 100 to 900 that you can specify where 900 is really, really bold and 100 is 
really, really narrow. It's not bold at all. Um, and those can those are um, kind of like integer 100. So it would be 100, 200, 300, etc. All the way from 100 to 900. Um, I've never used those. I just use bold. So if you want to be really fancy and have a lot of control, you can use those numbers if you want. Um, one of the things I should say is I'm barbard- bombarding you with a lot of um, properties here. You can use as many or as few as you want. Um, there's some that kind of go together. For example, background image, uh, you should specify background attachment, um, background position, uh, background repeat, um, and maybe even a background color. But uh, if you just wanted a background color and no background image, you don't have to include background attachment. In fact, it doesn't even make sense to include a background image if you just want to include a background color or to include background attachment if there is no background image. If you were just giving a background color, then just specify background color. Uh, so these are for uh, the most ambitious designers of you. Um, uh, then, okay, so let me get back to our... our, our excuse me, our other properties here. We've got list hyphen style hyphen image, which is a URL to the image. And that basically works exactly the same way the background image works. So we use the letters URL, open parentheses, open quote, the URL, close quote, close parentheses, semicolon to end that, end that declaration. Um, so that's neat. You can actually specify an image uh, for that. Um, I also... Sp- recommend that you include the next property which is list style list hyphen style hyphen type which is um, basically the what kind of dot you want to use or the type of number you want to use for an OL or UL list um, so um, obviously there's you should so the reason I recommend that you do this is you specify a list type list style type and if you're including a list style image is the image URL could be broken or something like that so you really kind of want to um, provide a backup um, so for UL lists you can use um, the value of disk which is a filled circle you can use circle which is an empty circle but just kind of like the outline of circle and you can use square um, which is a filled in square um, if you're using an OL, then you can specify decimal, which is just a regular number. You can use a, a regular number followed by a period. Um, if you're using a, um, you can uh, specify the value of lower hyphen Roman, which is like um, lower Roman numerals, lowercase, so it would just be I instead of the capital I. You can use upper hyphen Roman numeral, or upper hyphen Roman, which would be an uppercase Roman numeral, and then lower hyphen alpha and upper hyphen alpha, which are um, high uh, upper and lowercase regular uh, alphabetical values. So um, uh, that basically, so it, in an OL list, if you did lower alpha, then you would be using the lowercase a in place of the um, a, or I'm sorry, the, the number one value, um, which would be the decimal value. Um, decimal is obviously default and then for both you can use uh, the value of none which means there's going to be absolutely no uh, uh, the um, there will be no bullets or numbers so to speak um, which can be convenient I actually use that on on the web page for the show 
okay, so now we're getting into margin and padding. Um, I should take a second to explain something called the box model, which is um, basically there's this uh, model that we use to describe uh, how um, a element is rendered by a browser. So you've got um, in the most, the outside box, there's a margin. And then inside of that, you've got the border. And inside of that, you've got the padding. And then inside of that, you've got the content. So if you apply a margin, it basically basically clears the area around the border. Um, and it's it basically it doesn't have it doesn't reference your background color. So if you um, apply a negative mar a negative 50 margin, negative 50 pixel margin, then it will actually um, move in 50 negative 50 pixels in multiple directions. So we actually have to specify um, the order, and I'm going to explain that in a second. But let me just get uh, through um, what the border is. So the border actually lies around the padding and content, and it is affected by the background color of the box. But if you specify a border color, then um, obviously the border color takes precedence. Um, and then you've got the padding, which uh, clears an area around the content, and it, it, it is also affected by the background color of the box. And then the content is just like your text and images that are inside of the tag. So the order that um, we specify these in, these are all um, separated by spaces. And there's no quotes here again. Um, uh, so the thing is, that you would be doing is you would be uh, doing basically specifying the top value, then the right value, then the bottom value, and then the left value, which is kind of, it, basically think of it like a clock. It's, it's, it's clockwise. So you're going top, right, bottom, left. Um, there's also a way to remember it because uh, the word trouble has the letters in that order. So if you just remember the word trouble, then you can remember that. Um, so basically, if I wanted to specify a margin, um, and specify a negative margin on top, then I could do negative 50 pixels, space 0 pixels, space 0 pixels, space 0 pixels. So that's saying there's no margin on the right, bottom, or left, um, but there's a negative 50 pixel margin on the top, only the top margin. So that would basically move my, um, my entire thing up in a way. Um, it would make it appear as if the element is 50, pixel, 50 pixels higher uh, than it would occur regularly in the regular document flow. Then you've got padding. It works exactly the same way. Uh, both margin and padding use the, um, CSS, the um, CSS units that we talked about earlier. Uh, then you get into position. Uh, the position property can have um, multiple values. And they're not quoted. So the values are um, absolute, fixed, and relative. So let me explain what a absolute position is. A absolute position is relative to the first parent element um, that has absolute, fixed, or relative positioning on it. So if you have a parent that is relatively positioned and you specify an um, absolute position on the child, um, then it will be relative to where the uh, parent element is. Uh, likewise, if you use fixed, then this is actually, the position is relative to the browser window. So if I set a fixed position, 
of zero zero, then I would be um, actually saying make this at the top left corner of my browser window. Um, if I did that with the um, absolute within an, a relative parent, then um, it would actually be in the top left of the relatively positioned parent. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, and then there's relative. So the value of relative is where the position is relative to its normal position in the document flow. Um, so basically if you had a link and then a div next to it, or that's a bad example. If you had a link and a span next to it and you specified a position where the top is to the left by 20 pixels, then um, you would actually be uh, moving that to the left from it, its current position, where it would actually occur in the document. So basically you would have this span um, overlapping the A. <clears throat> okay, so there's properties that are associated with position. Um, those are top, right, bottom, and left. And so basically, um, I would, if I wanted to specify a position, I would use position. If I wanted to make it an absolute position, then I would use, how about fix, because that's easiest. Um, if I wanted to do a, uh, I would do position, colon, fixed, semicolon. Then I would specify where I want the, uh, what, where I want the position to be from. So I could specify the property of top, colon, and then any of the CSS units and then a semicolon. So if I won't only want to specify a um, fixed position that is from the top, so this remember, a fixed position is from the browser window, um, then I would be making, um, I'll give an example, 20 pixels. Um, I would be making my, my uh, the top of my element occur 20 pixels below the bottom of the browser window. And once you set a position of fixed, then there's no more relative positioning there. It's actually, I believe, going to appear at the left, but it will be uh, 20 pixels below uh, the top of the browser window. So you would actually have to specify a left or a right value depending on the effect that you wanted to achieve uh, to get it to appear where you want it to. So I can make something appear uh, 20 pixels from the top. I could also specify the property of right and make it appear 20 pixels from the right of the document window. And that will be um, uh, kind of like moving it to the left in a way. So it'll be 20 pixels from the top uh, of the browser window, 20 pixels to the left of the right side of the browser window, if that makes sense. Uh, because I'm assuming that we're using a positive pixel value here. Uh, again, top and bottom. Uh, basically, you're saying move this from the top, move it from the bottom. Uh, right and left, move it from the right, move it from from the left. Um, pretty self-explanatory, but you, I, you do have to experiment with this and look at examples because it's not uh, really intuitive. You kind of have to get used to it, at, but after a while, you do get used to it, and uh, it'll become much more useful. Most of the time, I just specify a top and a left, and if you kind of stay consistent, um, it makes things a little bit easier. Um, you've also got the property of display, which can have the value of none, inline, and block. Um, so basically, display none is as if that element doesn't even exist. It's just totally um, 
It doesn't take up space. It's just as if, as if it's gone. Uh, this can be useful for uh, things like JavaScript and dynamic programming. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, you've got clear, left, right, both, and none. Those are the values. Uh, so I'm sorry, I should say it, the property is clear, and the values can be left, right, both, or none. Um, so basically, you can uh, clearing is removing a float, and that's my next property. Uh, I'm going to kind of explain them together. So you can have float with the value of left, right, or none. Uh, so basically, none has no effect, um, but right makes something float to the right. So it basically moves all of the... Um, it moves that element all the way to the right of the containing element. And the elements after the um, element will flow around it. So if you wanted to... Um, so this is important for things that are block-level elements where the browser by default will um, insert line breaks before and after it. Um, and basically it takes up the entire width of the page. So if, for example, you had an image and you wanted to have text next to it, on the right side maybe, um, and you want your image to be on the left, then you would apply a float left value to it and the text would flow around it. Now clear comes in where you want to reassert um, the block level nature of something. And so you would clear left if you had a float left earlier and it would basically make it so that there's a line break and the flowing stops. And then later on you could uh, apply another float if you wanted. Um, again, that's something you really need to see to get a handle on. So check out W3Schools or check out um, the web, prob the website, probably in a couple of, probably next week, maybe. 